Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, may your name be blessed by your people today. May you be honored and glorified, Lord. We are uh, grateful to say that we are your people, Lord. We recognize it's not by our own merit or things that we have done on our, on our own accord, but it's by your grace and mercy that we might be called children of God. What a joy it is, Lord, that you shed your blood that we might have life everlasting and our sins forgiven. We profess that you are great, Lord, as we sang earlier. All the earth will shout your praise, Lord. There is a day coming when every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess, Lord, what we have already seen, and that is that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are great and greatly to be praised. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the time uh, that we can share with one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. And I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that you have brought it to us today. We pray that you would guide us and direct us and that you would speak to us through your word. Teach us your ways. Equip your saints. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Two books for the price of one. That's right, people. Two books for the price of one. Has it ever been done before? Well, yes, actually it has. Most of the guys I listen to teach 2 John and 3 John together. Uh, they're actually very short. To call them a letter would be kind of a misnomer. They're more like a postcard. They're, they're very short, but each of them having only one chapter, uh, 14 and 13 verses or something like that. Uh, and so we fig I figured I'd just knock them out of the park in one day. And so we're going to shoot for it. Two books in one day. Are we ready? Ready. Right. Better take a deep breath. Second John, chapter 1, verse 1. Everybody with me? It says, the elder, they don't sign their letters at the end. They sign them at the beginning to let you know who's writing so you don't have to flip the paper over to see who it's from. That's kind of nice. So this is who it's from, the elder. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. So... Obviously, somebody out along the way figured out that this entitled the book, at least in our Bibles, Second John. So we've somebody along the way figured out that this is John the Elder. And it's not just his office at this point. I think we talked about this earlier. It's not just that he is an elder, uh, uh, an overseer, uh, one who has started and, and pastored in many churches. It, it is his office, but it's also his age. At some point, or as he's writing these letters, and I think he probably penned both 2nd John and 3rd John at the same time. They are very similar uh, in, in some aspects. I would say he's somewhere between 90 and 100 years old. Probably been walking with the Lord for somewhere between 60 and 75 years. And, uh, and so he calls himself the elder, rightfully so. Um, he's the last apostle alive. He's the only apostle that's going to die of natural causes. All the other apostles have been martyred, murdered at some point along the way, and he is the last one. They tried to kill him. We talked about that. Kentucky fried John. They boiled him in oil. It didn't work. Didn't kill him. Uh, and so they sent him to Patmos. That didn't work either. He was imprisoned on an island uh, by himself, and or at least with perhaps with other prisoners. That didn't kill him either. He came back, and so he's writing letters and taking names. So... 
He's the apostle of love. We know that. Uh, that's one of his titles. And so he's writing, it says, to the lady elect and her children. Now, commentators vary on who this person is. It uh, is kind of a 50-50 transit uh, idea. Some would say this is a specific woman, a person unnamed, uh, perhaps somebody that had hosted a, a home fellowship, a, a family or a home church. Uh, we don't know. Um, or the other side of the camp would be that this is a general letter to the church, spoken of as a lady. Um, if, if, um, catch up with my notes. If it's a specific person, she remains unnamed, perhaps because he's writing about the time that persecution really started to break out against the church. And so to protect her identity, he doesn't specify her name if he's writing to somebody specific. You also know he doesn't even mention his own name. He calls himself the elder. And so there's a, an air of protection about it if this is written to somebody specific. If he's writing to the church, he calls the church the elect, the elect, and we get that idea from Mark chapter 13, verse 27, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the elect are the church. Uh, some people would say the elect are the church. Some people would say the elect are Israel. Some people would say the elect are both. Um, I'm kind of in that camp, those who are of God. And he calls her the, uh, the, uh, the lady. Um, Ephesians 5 would refer or help us to see that we are the bride of Christ. He says, whom I love in truth. I love in truth. And that's John's two favorite terms. Did you know that? He's known as the Apostle of Love. As you read through his gospel, as you read through his epistles, he's always talking about love, 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 love. Good. So he's known as the Apostle of Love, considering where he came from, that at one point he was called the Son of Thunder and wanted to rain down fire on everybody. I mean, that's who he was. Now he is known as the Apostle of Love. That's quite a transition in his life, right? He's known as love, but, and so he speaks of it often, but he also speaks of truth often. In fact, only second to love does he speak about truth. And so that's what he says, um, whom I love in truth. I love that phrase. He, he loves them, and, and he speaks of the truth. You guys probably are aware of this. You live out in your community. You have jobs, most of you, in secular places. You uh, try to be a light in those places. You recognize how truth today is being challenged. Yeah. Yes, we can see that truth is on uh, the altar, if you would. It's on the chopping block. We live in a day and an age where truth is challenged. So, to, to many people in this community included, truth has become a relative term. Well, if it's true for you, you ever heard anybody say that? If it's true for you. Think about that for a second. If it's true for you, but it's not true for me, is it true? I mean, truth has to be a constant, right? There is no, it's either, it's, it's either true or it's not true. There is no relativism to truth. In order for it to be truth, it has to be constant. It's never changing. Therefore, it can't be relative. So, so we live in a day and age where more people associate with Pilate's question, what is truth, right? That's what he asked Jesus. Then Jesus' statement, I am the truth. 
We live in a day and age where more people associate with Pilate's question, which is what is truth, than Jesus' statement, I am the truth. The truth isn't just merely a concept. Um, two plus two is four, is the truth. Take two eggs, add two eggs to it, you have four eggs. Okay, good, we're all on the same page. Even with Common Core, we can come up with that, right? <laughs> okay. The truth isn't just a concept. The truth is also a person to you and I. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Scripture says of Jesus that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. That's pretty constant. The truth is constant. So though people would try to conform the truth to what they would find convenient, it cannot be bent. It's, it's not relative. It's constant. As we break out this letter, as he, John is writing to the elect lady, he's going to commend her in verses 1 through 4. He's going to command her in verses 5 and 6. He's going to caution her in verses 7 to 11. And he's going to comfort her in verses 12 and 13. You like that? All those C's? I didn't come up with that myself. Somebody told me I shared this with you before. If you steal from one person, it's plagiarism. If you steal from 12 people, it's research. Okay. So, command, or commend, rather, in 1 through 4, command in 5 and 6, caution in 7 to 11, and comfort in verses 12 and 13. Verse 2 says, going back to our text, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. He's speaking not just of some... Um, Something, he's speaking of someone, speaking of the truth, speaking of Jesus. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with us forever. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful hello, if you would. We could season our welcomes with grace even more, with mercy even more, with peace even more. Grace, just as a reminder, is getting that which we do not deserve. You've been bad. Here's an ice cream cone. That's grace. We do that with our kids every once in a while. We don't do it all the time. Grace is getting that which we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You've been bad. You deserve a whipping. I'm going to give you mercy instead, and you won't get the whipping. Peace is what we have through knowing Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. We need to hold on to those two pillars of our faith, church. The, the church is built on the pillar of truth and the, and the pillar of love. They need to coexist cooperatively. If we speak truth, 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 without having compassion, without having tact, or without having love, it's, it, it makes a person harsh. To speak truth without love is harsh. But if we speak love without truth, that makes a person dangerous. I'm just going to love them and hope that it all works out. Well, 
We do that with our kids while they're running in the street. I love you! But we don't teach them that that's the dangerous place to play. We don't show them the truth of the danger of that. that that's, not, that's not a good balance. So the apostle of love gives, is given the challenge or the charge, bless you, to speak of the truth as well. The apostle of love is given the charge to speak of truth as well, and he's going to uphold both of these pillars. He says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandment from their father. He rejoices that there are children walking in the truth. And John is right in that. There is no greater joy on this earth, I'm convinced, than to see our children walking in the truth. Is that right, parents? We want to see that. We want to see our kids walking in faith. Listen, being raised in church or going or living in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Standing at McDonald's doesn't make you a cheeseburger, right? Just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you spent your life going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's actually very interesting, the uh, production piece of Leap of Faith this year, uh, speaking on heaven and hell. Uh, it's kind of a, a take on, to me, uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody remember that? There, but in this sense, there's uh, the lead character is a pastor who's faking it, who, who, who's, who's you know, mailing it in every week, who isn't actually living or a godly life, who isn't a Christian at all. And he falls asleep and has this dream, and I won't blow it all for you, but uh, in case you end up going. But they, he, he kind of sees the error of his way. Like I said, just because we slap a title on something and call it Christian doesn't make it Christian. As we begin to learn to walk, think about this, as we teach our kids how to walk, we hold on to them, right? Remember the grip? Remember this? Right? Little, little kids standing like this and you're holding their finger. They're holding your finger. You've got one finger out. Sorry, it would be like this. Right now. Because their head's too heavy, they're trying to figure out which way to go, right? Eventually, they let go. And they learn to balance on their own. And they stand on their own two feet. And they learn to walk by themselves. That's what we want to see in the Christian life as well. We raise them, holding on to them, showing them the boundaries of Christian love and truth. But hopefully, at some point, uh, we get excited because they're no longer holding on to mom and dad. They're standing and walking on their own. And as I've begun to see that in some of my kids, I can tell you there's no greater joy to see your kids figuring out their faith. It's true. Walk, verse 4 again, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth. A note to parents. Mom and dad, model absolute integrity to your kids. Model absolute integrity to your kids. Do not let them see us compromise the truth, even in little things, because that sets an example of dishonesty. Walk, model absolute integrity to your kids. What it is to walk in the truth. We will fail in that. We will own those failings at times, have to repent in front of our kids. There's no more humbling thing to a parent than to go to your child and say, I've sinned. Sin against God, sin against you. 
things for doing. It's good for us, it's good for them. He says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Boy, we've heard this before, haven't we? This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So after commending her, raising children, walking in the truth, seeing them walk, after commending her for walking in the truth, John's now reminding her of the command of love. I refer to this verse often, I will continue to do so. It's how the world will know that we are followers of his. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love for one another. It's not how big a crystal cathedral we build. It's not how loud we shout it. The world will know that we have our followers of his by the love that we have for one another. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. He commends her for walking in truth. He commands, reminds her of the command to love. Uh, love and truth are a powerful team. Good job walking in the truth. Command, don't forget love. Now, a word of caution, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we, may, we do not lose the things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. There are deceivers that have gone out into the world. What is a deceiver? One who doesn't hold the truth. He's saying, hold on to truth, hold on to love. Well, there are deceivers out there. That would be one who doesn't hold to the truth. Specifically here, what truth is he speaking of? That Jesus came in the flesh. And we talked about this in the letter, first, uh, the first letter, first John, that John was combating this idea in Gnosticism that Jesus never actually came in the flesh, that he didn't leave footprints in the sand, that Jesus was, well, Jesus was entirely a spiritual being. And so he wants to combat that. But what's interesting about the word come there, um, let me find it. Uh, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. That word is in the present participle in the original language, therefore it's a continual has come or is coming, as uh, translated here in the New King James. The idea is not only that Jesus has come in the flesh, but that Jesus is coming in the flesh once again. And that would be the greater danger for you and I today. Because we have many churches that would, would proclaim that Jesus isn't returning. That, that the idea of the book of Revelation, that... Um, uh, that it's all just ethereal in nature. That there isn't going to be a rapture of the church. That there isn't going to be the second coming of Christ. And we, he warns us against these things. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. Or that he will come again. And he says, look to yourselves, right? Verse 8. In other words, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're holding on to the truth. As followers of Christ, it's, it's, 
incredibly important that you and I walk circumspectly. That we um, take inventory of our own doctrine, of our own lives, to make sure that we are holding on to the truth. He says in verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. This word of caution continues and gets even more intense, in my opinion, that stronger if he's saying if you find people unwilling to hold on to the truth, meaning they reject Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, uh, that they're not looking for Jesus Christ to come, or they've diminished the person of who Jesus Christ is, John says don't greet them. Don't welcome them into your house. Reject what they have to say. Shun them. Don't identify yourself with them. Stand for truth. He closes it by saying, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. After commending and commanding and cautioning, John now comforts. He says, I've got more to say. But I'm going to wait until we're together. I'm going to wait till I see you face to face. Why is that a comfort? Well, because keeping a balance between truth and love is a challenging thing at times. To hold both of those pillars equally can be a difficult thing, and a lot of times it will raise more questions than it does answer. When we read a text, as John has written a letter, we sometimes lose tone. Yes? That's the danger of texts and emails. Is you can't you can't hear the way people were saying it. I've often prayed as I'm, I'm reading the Word of God or studying, God, give me the voice that he wrote that. Help me to understand his emotion behind it, because it gets lost in the text at times. And John says, I, I have a whole lot more to say, but I'm not going to spend the time writing it. I'm going to wait till we're face to face so we can sort these things out, so we can balance truth and love together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians um, 13 of seeing Jesus face to face as a comfort. So Paul's like, I know it will be comforting if we just get together, let's get a cup of coffee, let's talk these things out. Tea if you want to. Truth and love is best expressed face to face. How do we how do we show that we love somebody? Intimately, right? It's a face-to-face -face connection. It's a kiss. I'm declaring my truth that I have a love for you. I'm going to demonstrate it face-to-face, -face, right? So, continuing on. Third John. Look at that. Congrats. <laughs> he says, the elder to... The beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So, same author, the elder. John's still old. He's still holding the office. And he's going to speak to, or speak of, three different personalities. First, you see, it's to, this letter is to the beloved Gaius. 
I've got three E's for you. He's going to speak to the encourager, Gaius, the egotist, Diotrephes, and the example, Demetrius. The encourager, Gaius, the egotist, Diotrephes, and the example, Demetrius. Again, I'm not that creative, so I took that. This letter is a little more, or sorry, a little less general, a little more specific, directed at a specific instance within a church. He's dealing with a problem of some certain people that uh, the church was having difficulty with, and he's going to give us principles in that for our relationships as well. John here is going to speak to the encourager, Gaius. He says in verse 2, Beloved, I pray. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Now pause for just a second. Disclaimer here. This is not a name-it-claim-it verse. Though many would try to take it for that and abuse what it's saying here, this is not a prosperity gospel message that John includes in his letter here to say, all you've got to do is name it and claim it, and you'll have prosperity and you will have health. Um, if you've been around me long enough, you know how I feel about prosperity gospel teachers. Uh, if I meet one, I will punch them in the face. That's my flesh speaking. That's not probably the right thing to do. That's not. That's truth, but that's not love. <laughs> Just so we know. I'm not holding onto the two pillars well there. Don't follow my example in that. This is not a principle John is speaking here in verse 2. It's a prayer. He's praying that Gaius would have be, would be prosperous and have health. It's the same thing, mom and dad, you pray for your kids. That they would do well, that they'd be healthy, that, that those, those prayers you pour over our kids. It's the same thing we want for our families, we want for our church family. That's what I pray for you guys when I pray for you, that, that you would be healthy, that things would go well. But sometimes... As God's ways are higher than our ways, blessings come through brokenness and pain. Some of us get to preach sermons. Some of us are sermons. This is John Corson. Some of us preach sermons, and some of us are sermons as they deal with pain and loss. Therefore, it is a damnable heresy for anyone to imply that those who are sick lack faith, or those who are poor are second-rate believers. This is not a principle. This is a prayer that John is saying. John Corson. Verse 3, For I rejoice greatly, when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. See the commonality? Verse 4 in Second John, uh, verse 4 in Third John here, same idea. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in the truth. We want to see our kids grow up and walk in the truth. And not just our biological kids, our, the kids of our family. We want to, as disciples of Christ, we want to grow in the truth. I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of you. That he's got a good reputation is what he's saying. 
Verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Good job, Gaius, is what John is saying here. You're doing well. You took care of the traveling evangelists that moved through and spent some time at your church. You provided for them while they were with you. And not only did you provide for them while they were with you, you sent them on with a gift. You met their needs so that they would have what they need as they move forward. We, as followers of Christ, need to be marked with hospitality and generosity. They should be earmarks of the family of God. God meets our needs because he loves us. God exceeds our needs because he wants us to love others. Make sense? God meets our needs because he loves us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. He'll take care of us. If we, if we, he, he loves us. He'll provide for what we need. But God exceeds our needs because he wants us to love other people as well. To use what he has blessed us with to meet their needs. He says in verse 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. In 2 John, Paul, or John says, Paul, where did he come from? In 2 John, John says, don't welcome these people. Here in 3 John, he is saying, welcome these people. He's drawing a distinction. The deceivers, those who would not proclaim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, don't receive them. But for those that are a part of the family of God, the brethren, those that come alongside, welcome them into your family. Take care of them. John says, welcome those who, hold, who do hold the truth. And now he's going to speak to the egotists, Diotrephes. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Now, I don't know who this guy was. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he does appear uh, off balance or at least in the wrong heart. He wants to draw attention to himself. He speaks maliciously of John and anyone who supported John, it appears. He loves that preeminence. Look at me, is Diotrephes. That's why we call him the egotist. Church, there's only room for one person in the limelight. And it's not me. It's not any of us. There's only room for one person in the limelight, and that is Jesus. We lift him up only. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. That speaks of him hanging on a cross, but I think it can also speak of our gatherings together. If we lift up the name of Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit, he will draw all men unto himself. He says in verse 10, John, the old man, therefore if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does. <laughs> it's like, well, if I see Diotrephes, he and I are going to have some words. I do not go so far to say that he's going to punch him. <laughs> I've got some growing to do. If I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. Hear this. The balance of truth and love sometimes requires confrontation. 
I'm not a confrontational guy. I, I struggle with confrontation. But there are times when we want to uphold the pillars of truth and love that we have to speak in love the truth and tell people where they're wrong. Again, he says, I'm going to do it face to face. I'm not, I'm not, you know, telling everybody else about Diotrephes' problems. I'm not, you know, send, I'm not writing it out in the letter. He says, I'm going to do it face to face. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. What a fantastic word, pratting. I'll explain it in a second. Pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So there's a, a comparing contrast between Gaius and Diotrephes here. Gaius welcoming the love and loving people, Diotrephes not doing that. But the word pratting there is um, it's a, a reference to uh, bubbles that are made under the surface of the water that come up and burst. That's pratting, okay? And that's what Diotrephes is doing. He's, he's causing turmoil, right? Bubbles in, even in calm water would cause turmoil, stir things up if you were, if you were to. So he's like, he's, he's causing tension. He's causing ruckus, if you would. <clears throat> Unlike Gaius, Diotrephes does not receive the brethren. He does not have hospitality. He does not have generosity. John says it plainly, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. There's only two camps. Good, evil. Imitate what is good. We have the um, encourager. What were my things? I've lost them. The egotist, the encourager Gaius, we had the egotist Diotrephes, and now the example of Demetrius. He says in verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from all, and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. We don't know who this Demetrius was, but his name is now a part of eternal scripture. And his example um, is one of a good believer. And, and, and John commends him here. You did a good job. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. Everybody speaks good of Demetrius. Good job, Demetrius. You are the example. Part of the um, qualifications for an overseer given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 Part of that, it says in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 3, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. So not only do are people to speak well of you in the church, people outside the church are to speak well of you also. We are to live above reproach, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. We don't, we don't even hint at evil. It's the way we should strive for, the things that we strive for. We don't want to hang around evil. We don't want to see how close to the line of sin that we can dance, but we're running in the other direction. Demetrius has it figured out. He has a good testimony among everybody. And then verse 13, finishing up, John says again, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. 
greet the friends by name. John contributes five different pieces to the New Testament. The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation. Three of the five end with this idea. John chapter 21, the Gospel, the end of the book, John says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did so much while he walked here. He's like, it would fill all the volumes of all the books in the entire world. 2 John 1.12, having many things to write to you, I do not wish so, to do so with paper and ink. 3 John 1.13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. I have so much more to say, is what John is saying. We know the, t- the text. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So it's no surprise that this apostle of love, John, would have too full of a heart to get it all on paper. He's just after walking with the Lord for 75 years, his heart is exploding to say, I've got so much to say. Let's get together. And my encouragement to you and I, may we love as John is Holding on to the pillar of truth, but speaking it in love. May we love as he loved. I think these two quick postcards are a great example of those things. Amen? Next week, Micah. Like, actually, probably next three weeks. Like, it's seven chapters. So, probably next three weeks or so, we will study the book of Micah if you're interested in reading ahead. Amen. Let's stand, let's close in prayer. Thank you guys for being here today. It's a joy for me to teach the word. And to share and a privilege. If you need prayer for anything, part of our ministry to you is to pray and lay hands on you, to lift up, to come together. And I would encourage you, if you need prayer for something, to come forward. Don't be embarrassed by that. If you need prayer, we all need to pray. Come forward. We have people up front to pray with you and to lift up your needs. Let's do that for one another. That's a way we can show love. God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of the Apostle John, that he did well to hold these pillars of truth and love. And Lord, I know I speak tongue-in-cheek and uh, joke around, uh, and, and in the course of times, Lord, I want to be more like John. I think we all want to be more like him, Lord, speaking the truth in love and, and uh, never compromising the truth, Lord, but always with tact and humility. For we are just sinners, saved by your grace. It is your grace, it is your mercy, it is your peace that you poured out upon us. We have no right to boast in and of ourselves. If we've followed a wrong example, Lord, if we have um, become like diatrophies and uh, become unwelcoming, Lord, forgive us. I pray for this church, and I ask God that we would love well, that we would hold on to your truth. Go before us throughout this week, uh, keep us safe, uh, and draw us close to you. 
Lord, we close by singing, I love you, Lord, and I pray that we would do more than sing it, but with our lives we would show it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.